Whether you're thinking about giving the gift of art or marking a milestone in your life like a new job, anniversary or buying your first house with a piece, art is a unique way to celebrate those special moments. Now in its 20th year, the Affordable Art Fair will be back in beautiful Battersea Park from the 12th to the 15th of March and on Hampstead Heath from the 30th of April to the 3rd of May. Each fair showcases over 100 galleries, bringing together over a 1,000 original artworks from everything from limited edition prints by well-known names to a curated selection of ones to watch. And don't forget, National Art Pass holders can enjoy 50% off tickets to fairs by showing their pass on the door or by using the code ARTFUND online. To book tickets and shop over 10,000 hand-picked artworks, simply visit affordableartfair.com. Thanks to our sponsor, the Affordable Art Fair, for making this podcast possible. As you can probably tell, visiting galleries and museums is one of my absolute favourite activities. And our sponsor, the National Art Pass, makes that a whole lot easier, smoother and cheaper for us art lovers and gallery goers. Not only does the National Art Pass grant you free entry to over 240 museums, galleries and historic houses across the UK, such as Kensington Palace, Cardiff Castle, the Royal Pavilion and the Horniman Museum, it also gives 50% of major exhibitions, including the British Museum, Tate, the V&A and many more. Membership is just £73 for an entire year, and for those under 30, it's a mere 45 and for lucky Great Women Artist listeners, you can also receive an exclusive tote bag designed by Malika Fav when you buy a National Art Pass by entering the code GREAT at checkout. Just go to artfund.org slash great. Thanks to our sponsor, the National Art Pass, for making this podcast possible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Great Women Artist podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Some of you might know me from The Great Women Artists, an Instagram account I set up in October 2015, which celebrates female artists on a daily basis, ranging from young graduates to old masters. Well, in a similar fashion to the Instagram, this podcast is all about celebrating female artists from a variety of backgrounds and histories. And I'm so excited to be interviewing artists on their career or artists, writers, curators, or general art lovers on the woman artist who means most of them. What I want this podcast to do is celebrate female artists in all different capacities so you, the listener, can gain a look into the greatest female artists working now or from art history. I'm so excited to say that today we are in the studio of one of my favourite painters ever, the great Chantal Joffe. Known for her self-portraits and portraits of those around her, from photographs sourced from films, books or magazines, Chantal's distinctively unique painterly language brings together a combination of insight and integrity, as well as a psychological and emotional force. Predominantly depicting women or girls, sometimes in groups, but recently in iconic portraits, Joffe's paintings only waveringly adhere to their source, be it a photograph, magazine page or even a reflection in the mirror instead reminding us that distortions of scale and form can often make a subject seem more real. Having personally been painted by Chantal before, she has an incredible tendency to look beyond the surface and paint a psychologically charged portrait of someone, whether they be a young boy, girl or someone she has just met, in the most inquisitive and sensitive and sometimes truthful way. 
But the reason why we are in the studio today is not to talk about her own career, although I'm sure it will feed into the conversation later. We are here to talk about her artist of choice, the great Charlotte Salomon, the Jewish-born German artist who created one of the most important and powerful artworks of the 20th century, Life or Theatre, a compilation of 769 Gouishas that documented the young Charlotte's life in Berlin in the 1930s and is currently on view at the Jewish Museum here in London. Welcome, Chantal. How are you doing today? Hi, Katie. It's good to see you. So this work has got to be one of the most complex works of art ever created by an artist who, in the grand scheme of things, isn't hugely known. Just to give an overview of the work for those who might not have witnessed it in the flesh or seen it reproduced in books, Life or Theatre is a sort of dramatised autobiography that uses sound, text, simple language, images and music to give expression of Charlotte Salomon's struggle living in Berlin in the 1930s. The work itself was made during the war when Charlotte was living in Nice between 1941 and 1943 and it's made up of 769 gouaches that measure around 32.5 by 25 centimetres and is divided into three sections, the prelude, the main section and the epilogue. Right before the prelude we are given a programme of characters who are based on Charlotte's family and in the prelude she really explores life in Berlin. It starts with her childhood where her mother tragically dies by suicide although at the time Charlotte is told it's flu and the changing Berlin in the 1930s with the rise of national socialism and the imminence of war with the German attitudes against the Jews just growing to be increasingly imical. The main section is based around her relationship with her stepmother's singing teacher and political events such as Kristallnacht and Charlotte escaping Berlin. And the epilogue is really extremely fascinating but equally as emotional and tragic as the rest because it's written in Charlotte's then present and her life in Nice during the 1940s when she is actually living with her grandparents during the war. But first I'd love for you to start off by just telling us who Charlotte Salomon was. Oh she was born into a middle class family in Berlin and I think it's she's born in 1917 yeah. and I mean it's hard to talk about her without feeling kind of overwhelmed with emotion because the story I mean I went along to see the show first time before Christmas and I knew a bit about her but anyway I I went to the show thinking wow great a show I love exhibitions I'm so excited to see yeah. it and then you get overwhelmed very quickly with the content of the work and the story and, you know, the accumulation of, I guess, really horror that it yeah. involves. And then interspersed with scenes of a normal childhood, you know, learning an instrument and a stepmother and, you know, father. And yeah, she's a hard artist to talk about, I realised when I, after <laughs> proposing her to talk about, she's yeah. in a weird way, you almost want to give a summary of the overview of her life. The beginning, I mean, it's important to say it's an edited show yeah. and it doesn't show all the work, yeah. but it's a very beautifully curated show. So yeah. you get, I mean, actually when I went in, I went backwards and I got completely lost. But anyway, <laughs> most people won't do that. Yeah. But you really start with the death of her mum when she's eight, she's eight. Yeah. And her mum commits suicide, but Charlotte doesn't know that. She thinks she dies of flu. And then you have the grief and there's this terrible bit where... The mum, who's very depressed before she dies, says she'll come back as an angel and leave a letter telling oh, her what gosh, heaven yes, is like. Yes. And the little Charlotte waits for that, keeps saying to her dad, mum hasn't sent me the letter. Actually, I'll bring myself to cry by thinking about it, but yeah. hasn't sent the letter what heaven's like, which really sets the scene yes. <laughs> for the whole yeah. story. 
there's so much about her that's important to say and that I want to say about her because what struck me when I went to see it the first time was the idea that basically art saves her, art stops her following her mum and committing suicide. The redemptive power of art itself and that making this piece saves her. But we actually probably have to go back to the storyline to tell you how we get to her actually making the work. And of course, her place in history is also extremely relevant. Berlin in the 20s Mm. and 30s and... I suppose what it is, is it's her internal story and the tragedy that that is set against her place in history and the tragedy that that is and how the two intertwine and how they're equally unbearable, Yeah, literally equally unbearable. And you wouldn't think that somebody could have a personal history as horrific as the Holocaust, but if anybody does, she does. Yeah. I mean, it's why it's called life or theatre, because you don't quite know to believe it or not. No, and that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because it's funny, I want to tell the story, but it's such an elaborate, difficult story to relate. So she then meets Dabolo. She sort of falls in love with him. He's a sort of weird... He'd survived the First World War, become very traumatised and broken by that, and then comes to interact with her stepmother, who's a professional singer. And as far as I can see, it's sort of weird, old-fashioned form of mindfulness they're doing or something weird and laying on of hands and all kinds of weird, mixed-up spiritualism. And it's quite hard to unpick what's really going on. But anyway, he becomes intense friends with her and her stepmother and sort of tutors her in art as well. Mm. So she becomes obsessed by him and falls in love with him. And, And the main body of the pictures and the story, which is almost like a film or a opera yeah or a graphic novel it's but very, also it's, it's created very cinematically you get these um scenes that have three scenes within them yeah no absolutely these and film strips or something i mean the awful recurring images people going out of windows yes which you know her mum is depicted not just going out the window but landing on the floor which she couldn't have obviously seen yeah anyway it's a very complicated plot and took me a lot of visits and reading griselda pollock's extraordinary book about her to even understand the fictionalized version of her own life and then her real life father then cast doubt on the reality of what's depicted but it's in particular the segments about her and him and her obsession with him and then their possible love affair I feel like that is real that feels so real to me that they go off to an island and swim in a lake and then they they appear to have sex and it feels like She's a very vulnerable, very young girl. I don't know, 17 or 18, mm. I think, by the time of that. Yeah. But it feels like a real memory, not a fantasy to me. But her father, after the war, is keen to say it was, in fact, a fantasy and that she was far too shy. But, I mean, I think any parent probably would have. And he himself, the real-life guy, he denies it too. Anyway, I'm not sure it matters. Though, of course, relating to the what happens later in the life or theatre, it is kind of important, the truth of things, I think. Yeah. It's interesting, that kind of question about truth, because in a way it is this fictional autobiography. I mean, it's created between the years of sort of 1940 and 42, and she's and actually begins in 1914 when you see her aunt walk into the lake and commit suicide. I mean, that that's another thing. Her In this life or theatre, we see three members of her family commit suicide. And in 1914, and then Charlotte, who is Charlotte Can, but also Charlotte Salomon, in real life, she's named after her. And it's the auntie, isn't it? Her auntie, yeah. her, her mother's sister, who 
was the first to suicide. Yeah. But actually not, because then the grandfather tells her that endless members of her family had suicided and that they're all crazy. And and this is really Charlotte's escapism, is to create this piece of artwork. Because also she's, she's creating this when the war is happening. So we have to remember that she is creating this work in retrospect. So it's all a memory, but also telling the story of her life in a way. Yeah, and she's by now living in Nice on the run from the Nazis and her grandmother has just committed suicide and basically she sees it as a way to hold on to life, to recall her life and literally, through art, save her own life. And that's, I think, the thing I find so moving about this piece of art is she's telling her story for posterity against history and against the Nazis and what's going to happen to her, which she knows pretty much, I think. And also the terrible family history, which turns out is even more hideous and complicated than and that is only discovered much later on after the war isn't it because there's these hideous group of images her grandfather and she are taken to an internment camp for a few days and there's these images of her and him having to share a bed and she's complaining saying i can't share a bed you're disgusting and he says it's natural it's normal this is the story and so there's a terrible implication of incest and fear and then a later lost bit of the book is discovered where she appears to have poisoned him through Mm. an omelette. And it's also hard not to read, and I suppose everybody reads it, that in fact he must have abused both the mother and the aunt and that's why they suicide, that there is a reason. This isn't just some mysterious, awful, hereditary idea that suicide is... You know what I mean? There's this awful realisation as you go through the thing that he is this sort of terrible person and she knows that and she works out what's happened Mm. and then she separates from him and and I think it's all during this time she's making the work isn't it yeah no it it is and what's also really interesting the fact there are times in the compilation of images where the actual image is so different so you know when she is on the run or when she is you know depicting her and Alfred having sexual encounters you know it becomes so organic and rushed and aggressive and you know, th- yeah, there no, are they so almost many... break down the mm. images almost break apart as she tries to recall them that the sense of speed yeah. and need to make I've never ever seen an image somebody needed to make so badly yeah. and so fast to tell her story to tell her story as, as a Jewish woman then to tell her story as a victim of abuse and mm. It's an extraordinary feeling. And, and then there are glimpses of great lightness and yeah. beauty, like when she's drawing in the meadow, you yeah. see the back of her. In a way, she's kind of creating this work quite erratically. If you kind of look at the way that even death is depicted or something, well, at first you see this, when her mother dies in the epilogue, you see this incredible depiction of death, which isn't horizontal, which actually Griselda Pollock pointed out the other day when I saw her speak about it. And then you see when her grandmother dies, it's just this kind of looming, dry figure about to jump out of a window. I mean, it's, you know, it's so crude. And I think that one, because she's creating the work as that happens, she just has no way to even depict it because she can't comprehend or compartmentalize what this act is and it becomes artist therapy too it becomes Mm. quite literally a kind of if I can draw it or paint it I can find my way I can live with it I can literally exist I can continue to exist through the act of making which I think is the thing I find so extraordinary about the work and 
And then there are just images of her meeting him in a cafe that are heartbreaking and her longing for him mm. and her sense of betrayal. You know, those things, and they're beautiful. They're so sort of dark Berlin night and or waiting on a park bench for him. Or, I mean, there's, there's an extraordinary image just of a window with some red-roofed houses beyond. Yeah. There's like Augustine painting. It's very sort of simplified and almost cartoon-like. It's hard to do justice verbally to the images <laughs> themselves because yeah. they're very beautiful but never, there's never anything extraneous in the image there, there to tell you the story. She needs to tell you through visuals what happened. It's that sense of the pure necessity of the image or something. What's amazing about this work is that it is a compilation of images, text as well. So, I mean, each image is accompanied just with a few lines just saying what happens because you can't really read it just with images and music as well which is an yeah, no. interesting it's almost this kind of gazamkinswerk or total work of art like this opera or play that she's almost put on it's it's very cinematic it's stage-like no it's extraordinary and she's constructed them like that so they're actually layered so she has thin like greaseproof paper sheets with yeah. the writing over the tops which i suppose without reading german you can't fully because you have to read underneath yeah so i which have is to read yeah of course me too <laughs> but that's frustrating because you want them to be somehow a whole mm. so you have to constantly go back and forth but it doesn't spoil it but it's important I realized today going back it was important to remember that that wasn't how she'd made it that that's something that they've had to add on mm. that the extra reading in that way not the reading within the image and sometimes the the writing will spiral or you know it's almost like an Eva Hess or something yeah. you know what I mean that sense of kind of they become modernist in a very sort of they're extraordinary yeah and of course we have to say that she is finally rounded up and deported and taken to concentration camp and there's something that Griselda Pollock says in her study about it that again is devastating she writes next to her name on the lists of the camps which they found she writes draft woman because she thought by writing that she might be saved. Yeah. You know, if you had something to offer, they would save you. But because by this time she's pregnant, yeah. because she gets married just before she's rounded up, of course she was gassed immediately. And that reduced me to sobbing because I hadn't thought about that, that if you were pregnant, they wanted to destroy not just you, but the generation yeah. to come. And weirdly, that had never crossed my mind. You know how things about the Holocaust keep on striking you afresh with fresh horror and you think you know it well enough not to be broken again or you know what I mean yeah I was just looking at the print of the image of her name and draft woman in the sense that she wants to live the grandfather didn't get her yeah. she wants to live she doesn't want to suicide she doesn't want to be destroyed by them mm. I suppose what I'm trying to say really is their life affirming actually yeah. ultimately the piece even though maybe described by me isn't so cheerful is incredibly life-affirming and about art's power to make life worth living or livable. So you, you can see her love of life as well, I think. Throughout, there's a really heartbreaking section at the end, just after her grandmother has committed suicide, where she's talking with her father, and she just learns she lived that lie her whole life where she thought her mother had died from flu when actually she had committed suicide. And she said, you know, how beautiful life is. I believe in life. I will live for them all. And there is still joy and always the flowers still grow and always the sun still shines. And another night like that, 
will be more than I can take and may you never forget that I believe in you. But then already it's sort of too late that her grandmother has then committed suicide. You sort of feel a bit like the grandfather's almost trying to drive her to suicide Mm. because then there'll be nobody to report. I feel like that. I don't know if that's true, but there's an image of like, I don't know, 30 of his head drawn over and over, painted and... The horror that he represents and her fight, her absolute fight to, mm. to reject that and reject his version of events and his telling of her story and her genetic inheritance that he somehow... It's really awful. He's frightening. It's just this ghostly figure that's looming over her in every single direction, every single speck of the whole page, in a way. It's ironic that she's sent to be safe in France, away from the Nazis, only to her grandfather, who's actually an even bigger danger on one level to her, it feels like. I mean, it's hard to talk about this because I don't know how her surviving family, I don't know what their feelings are. A lot of it's speculative, too. So it's a complicated thing to talk about. But hard not to... She survives. The work survives. So if we think about kind of what's happening at that time, when we go back to... This book is really kind of set around from 1914 up until, you know, 1940. And this time in Berlin is such a time of change and horrific politics and sort of booming Jewish culture in the sort of 20s at that time. You go from this really kind of elaborate quite opulent life with all these incredible christmas trees these holiday houses and the mountains and everything to actually everyone being taken away what's happening at this point what's kind of happening for them personally well they're still having a very kind of incredible life and what on one level in that they're having you know they're meeting him and there's a lot of creativity and artistic influences and she's going to art school and learning to be an artist you know there's her life drawing and trying to make etchings but it's interesting to talk about her stepmother who's a concert singer she was being stopped from singing but because of being jewish her father is arrested and taken off to a a concentration camp but the stepmother actually manages to get him freed and then they escape there's a fantastic drawing one of the drawings is a dinner party at their house just before she leaves for france and she says it was like geese and a pen and everybody's saying i'm going to go to brazil i'm going to go to new york and it's that sense of terrible panic and fear of people trapped in a city and trapped by circumstance which is oddly relevant now of course because i think people probably have a terrible sense of feeling for completely different reasons but i think it's so easy to feel that, to feel utterly trapped by history. And I mean, I was thinking about people like Auerbach and Freud who are escaping around this time. You know, Auerbach was eight and he was on the Kinder Transport. I think he escapes in 33. So it's interesting. And he's still painting today. It's weird. It's yeah. not that long ago. And I mean, I t- something else I wanted to mention, which I think is interesting, is when you go to the museum, the Jewish Museum in London, there's a lot of bag checking and this high security and it struck me as sort of tragic that even now that's a huge problem in our world and that things have changed but also not so much has changed and anti-semitism is still rife and I felt kind of heartbroken about that you know you think when I was a kid and the war was a lot closer obviously I, I wanted to think that would never happen again and that it couldn't but I don't really feel so confident about that anymore. How do you think people are looking at this work now and thinking, actually, how does it relate to the society that we're living in? 
Well, it seems intensely relevant right now for anybody living in exile and anybody reflecting on a kind of fairly brutalized childhood that she has and had. And then the work is only saved because a wealthy American woman who is living in Nice saves it. And she helps Charlotte, doesn't she? Ottilie, her yeah. name is. And she saves a bunch of Jewish children, takes them to America. She has a big villa in, in the south of France. And that's where Charlotte goes to make the gouaches, in fact. And then Charlotte goes and gives her the work in bo big boxes and it's stored. And it's only really by pure chance that it is saved. Yeah, because it is such an extensive it's body of work. huge, you know, there's that film in the show of them moving the boxes. And quite a lot of her work was lost as well. There's, yeah. And it's not clear whether the family disappeared some of the pages that sort of reappear and have reappeared subsequently haven't they yeah that reveal some of the darker aspects of the work I mean interestingly when I went to see the show I think it was in December of last year when I first saw it and I had just begun a group of work that was I suppose in a way a sort of cathartic group of drawings based on what I felt to have been a traumatic time in my own life and so it felt absolutely something I could relate to completely to see that work. And I and I suppose that's why that work feels so utterly relevant right now. I think the idea that art can redeem bad experiences, however trite that might sound, does feel sort of important right now. Yeah. No, definitely. I think throughout the whole of the work as well, you can really see her mood changing as well. You know, you see these luscious scenes with trips to the mountains and holiday homes and that's such happiness and then you see death and you see death like I've never seen portrayed before because it feels so in the moment you know these figures are not horizontal they're collapsing they aren't real figures they're shadows of them almost because it's so impossible to depict I mean one of the most haunting images I think is just after her mother dies and I mean you mentioned earlier that such heartbreaking moment where she goes to her mother's grave and she says why aren't you writing to me and then she's in her giant Berlin apartment and there's this almost looming shadow over her as if to be this monster that is death coming to eat her or you know we don't know who this person is it's it's really quite haunting no it's a bit like Jane Eyre or something like that yeah. scene in Jane Eyre where she's locked in the red room or something <laughs> and then it's full of psychological darkness, like the step, the evil. It's, she's not evil, clearly the stepmother, but Charlotte intensely loves her, but also feels sort of conflicted. You know, it's yeah, and that comes out through the drawings of Paulinka, as she calls yeah, it. Yeah, Paulinka Bimbang, and then the sort of competitiveness for Dabrelon's love. Yeah. and I mean, I have to say the the sort of love affair with Dabrelon. That's like. The, every experience of first love in some ways, yeah. you know, very intense, very sort of fraught. <laughs> I think that's utterly relatable somehow as well. You know what I yeah. mean? I remember my first love when I was at art school and yeah. that kind of intense <laughs> sitting in cafes, you know, late at night. Yeah. And just She captures that, you know, a bit like Francesca Woodman's photographs capture. Yeah. Adolescence said it's most extreme and angst-ridden and, and quite apart from all the others, sort of threads in the story that's actually just a very universal experience yeah. I think you know her obsessive love for him that and he's kind of messing her around and not returning it and probably ghosting her you call it <laughs> you know what I mean and it's yeah. full of 
She's just a girl like any yeah. of us in a way. She's just an anxious teenage girl who's madly in love and, you know, thinks he loves her. And she goes and shows him her drawings and he doesn't even open the parcel, you know, and the, you feel her frustration. And so, but then the confidence that he also gives her as well. You know, he says, this is worth something. Your yes. art is worth something. And what beautiful hands, artist's hands. Yeah. Have, you know, and then slightly creepily, he's later on, he's going, I have an electricity with you. And then he himself is a victim of the First World War and the trauma that that caused him. So nobody, but maybe that's true of all of us. Maybe none of us are free of trauma or free of hardship or free of history. So I guess it's an extraordinary experience to see it because... I think everyone can relate to the work, yeah. however utterly specific it is. Yeah. Another quote that he says in the text is that one day people will be looking at us, which I found so poignant because actually we all are. There's thousands of people going through the Jewish Museum every day and this work has been seen all over the world and it's almost as though they knew what they were creating or she knew what she was creating was history. I mean, it makes me think about all the other artwork that must have been lost as well in the second world war but all the the lost opportunities i mean she also kind of going back to the start of the work she's you know she's also depicting herself in in a classroom and at that time you know only 1.5 percent of the class were jews and the fact that she had that ability to stay in art school and she had those opportunities yet other girls in her class were winning the prizes because they weren't jews and her depiction of what's happening at that time is so real because I think you can really see that slowly, that slow exclusion that's happening to the Jews. Like you said earlier, you know, this idea that people are saying, you know, I'm going to go to this place, I'm going to go to this place. Everyone is slowly being shut out of Berlin. And it's just such a horrific... Yeah, and it's dying. Berlin yeah. is literally dying. And then, you know, Kristallnacht and all the kind of... It's funny, actually, I was reading an interview with Auerbach recently that he'd given, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, and he says something about how art, you know, the thing you say about her saying maybe people will look at us or they'll be looking at us in the future. And of course, that's what art can do. Art is, it sort of time travels, you know what I mean? It goes on existing forever into the future and from the, you know, it takes you back in time, you know, and a Rembrandt's self-portrait is still alive. He's still alive now. Yeah. That's the thing I love so much about art and about what art can do it can take you back to that place even though certainly not a place I'd want to have been but I certainly I feel grateful for the experience of going there yeah and visiting it and being able to see it through her eyes through yeah. this unbelievably frightened young woman you know yeah who, who really kind of had no idea what was happening to her and all she knew was to kind of channel all this anxiety and depression and everything through art and I think it is this also incredible tool for people battling with mental health issues because she is really kind of capturing you know death suicide dealing with suicide in your family it's so emotionally charged you know it's extraordinary I had exactly that thought I thought for anybody who was suffering depression she's life affirming she's saying pick up a pen or a pencil yeah anything that can make you step outside of yourself or outside of your situation and see it in context or see it from a distance it can save your life it can literally and it saves her life even though the grandfather is sort of pushing her yeah she saves herself through painting i mean this work is almost a diary of her experiences yes of her story of life but also her experiences dealing with so much emotion and hardship and pain and death and suicide surrounding her 
Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a terrible, powerful thing, the idea that if that has happened in your family, it will somehow happen to you. And I think for people suffering from depression or from anxiety and fear and helplessness and all those things, the show feels also like a kind of beacon of hope. And I think it is. I think it's, it is literally saying you can find a way out and you can redeem the experience however hard if you draw it or write about it or paint it or sing about it or whatever it is. I think it's also sort of non-hierarchical. It's not saying you have to be a great artist to do that. It's saying anybody can keep a journal. Anybody can escape. Anybody yeah. can escape the inevitability of things. I think what's also interesting what you're all saying as well there is that it is for everyone because Charlotte, you know, although she was made up of the 1.5% of Jews in her year because obviously they were slowly being kicked out, you know, she didn't have this formal education. And in a way, it's really coming from the heart this piece of work it's beautifully executed but it's not kind of created an academic style and if anything that makes it feel so much more contemporary i think like most great art it's sort of oddly timeless as well it doesn't feel it it's sort of outside of time in some way isn't it it, it feels utterly modern the actual paintings themselves they feel you know, they're a child's view, angry view of her stepmother, you know, looking a bit <laughs> sour and spiteful or the loved one, you know, her kind of sitting on his lap, hugging him in their bathing costume. The detail of them is so completely specific as well. They really take you to the place. Yeah. And also take you to, you know, what was really happening politically at that time. I mean, she's depicting Kristallnacht or she's depicting all these Nazi rallies and the way that they're depicted as being so uniform as well and you have the swastika which is the other way around as if to also neutralize what's happening you know if she was creating this book that she intended to be kept and seen years and years years to come it also shows what she wanted from the war as well she wanted this neutralization i mean that she could even manage to hope that that time that terrible time would pass yeah. which it certainly mustn't have seemed like it ever would it was getting worse and worse it was her and the grandfather had been to that internment camp she knew what she was going to face yeah that it, i think to paint you know with that breathing down your neck that sense of history and fear that's an extraordinary achievement i i don't know to be able to sit you know, there's a picture of her painting. She paints herself painting in a meadow in the south of France. It's her seen from behind with her watercolour pad on her lap kind of thing. I mean, what I find even more bizarre, though, is that then you think about somebody like Matisse, who would have been living in Nice at that time. Yeah. You know, I find history weird when you try and picture <laughs> the other. Yeah. And he was fine. You know, he's happily painting his dances or something. You know, I, find, I can't quite get my head round what's happening at the same time in the same city yeah you know and then her and her grandfather being dragged off and you think about the kind of the buzz around the art scene at that time in a strange way what was happening in the 1940s in new york or in mexico or all these different places no it's hard to know that it's just hard to know isn't it? it's like when you go and visit anne frank's house in yeah. amsterdam or something hard to know that everyday life kept on going you know that other yeah. people are having everyday lives and but I mean that's true now horrific things are happening and you and I are sitting here in my studio <laughs> chatting about as if it isn't and that you know I guess that's a necessity of life as someone who does paint so many self-portraits how was it seeing her self-portraits well it was funny as I was saying before trying to do that group of drawings 
it did feel like kind of it felt it gave a kind of validation to the idea that it was okay to try and do that to try and I suppose it's sort of looked down on the idea of art as therapy isn't it that, yeah you know and that's a criticism often of our you know especially by people who make art that's too personal or, or too therapeutic or something but for me sometimes maybe that is all there is you know sometimes to paint something that's happened to you and to try and it literally gives you a way out of the situation yeah. and I, I think that's okay I mean I look at somebody like Philip Guston and I think he's telling you I mean ironically he was also the child of a suicide and also a Jew trying to find his way through a difficult anti-Semitic time in LA when he comes into the late narrative work he's trying to tell you his story and he's also redeeming it through painting you know those paintings of him in bed with a sandwich and fag and a plate of chips he's telling you how it feels to be a middle-aged man with a long hard history it's okay for art to be redemptive I guess yeah. and we don't like to think about it like that maybe or talk you know it's complicated isn't it absolutely why do you I mean this is probably impossible to answer but why do you think she created life or theatre I think she literally had no choice. I think it was that or jump out the window like the rest of her family. Yeah. I think that was, for her, it was the art was the only place she could find a safe space or a place to kind of exist or tell her story. She just had no choice. And the minute she's picked up the brush, she was safe or something. It saved her. And that's why the speed is in those drawings. She makes them over, I think, a year and a half yeah. or something, and at least one a day and probably several a day. And you feel that you feel their necessity and their speed. That's exhilarating. And actually, you know, it's like Van Gogh's late paintings of waving cypresses or something, or pool rooms or cafe, you know, that... that Obsession or something. Yeah and, yeah, and being in it, being utterly in it, in the image making, that's an incredibly exhilarating feeling. Yeah. Even if it comes from a really hard place, it's an extraordinary, powerful thing. Yeah. When was the first time you actually saw her work, do you think? Or heard of her, even? Well, I had a book, probably from about 2000. There was a big book, which when I went to see this, I tried to find and I couldn't. But I hadn't understood the story. I just liked the pictures, yeah. you know what I mean? I hadn't understood the narrative. And I'd looked at them and I liked the way... I just liked the drawings and I liked... I sort of understood the story a little bit through the drawings. And that's why when I went back, I was sort of unprotected from the impact of the... Sh you know, and I don't know, I went around like a sort of dummy kind of reading and and gradually understanding what's happening and how how unbearable it is. It's a strange sort of oxymoron, isn't it? An extraordinary show that's extraordinarily dark, but also redemptive. You know, yeah, it's a complicated yeah. set of ideas. And as I say, it was also at a time when I was trying to make these drawings that did feel redemptive to me. So it felt, you know, sometimes you find the show that's the perfect show for you right then or something. Yeah. And that that felt good. But hard. then I went away, read the Griselda Pollock and was <laughs> cast into a terrible decline. Because the minute you immerse yourself in that history, it's funny, when I was younger I could do it and now I almost... It's hard because you, you sort of go back into it like it's real, you know what I mean? And then I kept going back to that image of her name on that list and imagining her pregnant in, you know, in that camp. My mind sort of shuts down trying to picture that. Yeah. And then she's beyond image, isn't she? There's yeah. only that name on the list, you know what I mean? 
and her desire to stay alive through trying to write, I'm, I'm somebody, I'm something. It's a terrible, terrible assertion, isn't it? I'm something, I can offer you something here in hell. Yeah. Do you think she has influenced you as an artist? Well, I think I left the show and thought, it's funny, I was talking to another friend about this, that it's an easy thing to think, oh, I can sort of access this as a way of working. And of course, that's crap because it's <laughs> it's an extraordinary thing she's done and it's a unique thing she's done. And I can't, I cannot, you know what I mean? I yeah. can't borrow from that. But but I think with all great art, you do... Well, it feels like hubris, doesn't it, yeah. to try and, you know, f- somebody else's tragedy. I don't know, it's a really complicated one with Charlotte. I think with a lot of painting, you look at it and think, how can I use it? How can I take something from it? And I do, that is very much how I think. But with her, that just feels wrong. Yeah, I think all you can take is the idea that art is redemptive and that you can redeem bad experiences through art mm. I think that's okay but yeah. certainly nothing formally I would take you know it's like is there art after the holocaust I don't know with her I didn't feel that yeah. I didn't feel I could it's like a diary of Anne Frank I guess yeah some, you know as an artwork yeah um, it, it almost isn't an artwork in a way it's, it's someone's diary it's very it's the most personal and complex work of art I've ever witnessed in my life and I can't also quite believe that it's existed but also being preserved so yeah well. and that the family her dad and stepmother allowed that film of them is very strange and kind of awkward well they asked the stepmother paulina how she feels about how she's depicted and she's like she sort of laughs and says oh yeah of course i'm fine with it it's great but it had to be really painful to have seen that nobody knows what happened or they you know they thought she'd be safe in france and the grandmother badly wanted her in france and people were scattered by the war but you do feel for them and you feel for that exposure. Yeah. You know, but art does that. Art does expose people and families, I guess, and not always. I mean, I've been reading Robert Lowell and Elizabeth Hardwick's letters, the dolphin letters, and that, you know, that, that's, you know, difficult. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting the way that she also has sort of depicted herself in it as well as being kind of amongst these big masters. So in the prelude, she is depicting her self-portrait as someone who is an artist, but also is surrounded by, you know, Van Gogh's sunflowers or, you know, the, the chair. She is kind of putting herself amongst the greats in a way. Yeah, I kind of love that. And also she's so young. She's maybe 22 and she's making these paintings. And I guess, you know, she's like somebody in an hourglass, sand running out, painting against time. That's so poignant as well. She's a young Jewish woman in 1942 you know what the hell and she's sort of trying to assert herself against history gender time racism you know the whole everything and and she's sort of saying I am here I'm here look at me look at me I'm something I'm somebody I mean what the hell and she succeeds she does that (laughs) she actually does it and she tells her story and she bloody kind of that gives me goosebumps to think about that that she does that she does it she did that, and you know, and she'll never know that. And I wish she could send an angel to my window yeah. to tell me, <laughs> to give me the letter, what it's like in heaven, you know? Yeah. Because she had courage that I don't even, you know what I mean? Yeah. Extraordinary. 
Absolutely. So as this is the Great Women Artists podcast, we always ask our guests, you know, what would they say to their guest of choice? And I was wondering what you would say to her. I'd say that thing. I'd say, send me a letter from heaven, Charlotte, and tell me how it is there because she wants her mum to do. Because, oh, I want her to know that we're all still looking at her. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chantal. Thank you all so much for listening to the 19th episode of the Great Women Artists podcast with the brilliant Chantal Joffe. I am completely in awe of the work of Charlotte Salomon making that such extensive body of work so young. And it is just the most tragic story of how she died in Auschwitz. And I urge you all to visit the exhibition at the Jewish Museum here in London, which ends on the 1st of March this year. And for those abroad, there are many incredible publications which include all of or most of the works. It's completely incredible. This podcast was sound edited by the great Amber Miller. And if you have been enjoying these episodes so far, I would be so grateful if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it helps others find us. And of course, thank you for listening to the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Now on its 20th year, the Affordable Art Fair will be back in beautiful Battersea Park from the 12th to the 15th of March and on Hampstead Teeth from the 30th of April to the 3rd of May. Each fair showcases over 100 galleries, bringing together over 1,000 original artworks with everything from limited edition prints by well-known names to curated selection of ones to watch. To book tickets and shop over 10,000 hand-picked artworks, simply visit affordableartfair.com. As you can probably tell, visiting museums is one of my favourite activities and thanks to the National Art Pass, you can now access free entry to over 240 museums, galleries and historic houses across the UK, plus 50% off major exhibitions including the British Museum and Tate. Membership is just £73 per year and for those under 30, it's £45. Just go to artfund.org forward slash great. Thanks to our sponsor, the National Art Pass, for making this podcast possible.